we have to see how the nation really gets back to work. That's going to determine a lot of what happens in both sales and production. But then what are people going to be buying is the other one. Getting back to it, it may be just, you know, bouncing from a natural disaster instead of a long-term effect. Welcome back to Unscheduled Maintenance. I'm Peter Stork. You may have been expecting Alex back on the mic for season two. Well, as much as he enjoyed his short stint as a podcast host, he's decided to turn the reins over so he can continue to put his focus on both leading cars and being an advocate for dealers. Don't worry, he has left you in capable hands. As a current Cars employee and former radio producer, I'm incredibly excited to be your guide as we widen our scope of discussion to talk about all things related to automotive innovation insights, and leadership. Now, you may remember in our fourth episode, we talked with Hyundai CMO Angela Zepeda about how Hyundai's Alabama plant was one of the first in the U.S. to close down after an employee there contracted coronavirus. For that episode, we focused on the human element of that development and how Hyundai shifted their efforts to enabling increased testing capacity at hospitals across the country. Today, we're going to shift to the secondary but still critically important material and economic impact of these factories shutting down. Supply chain disruption has been a major challenge for auto manufacturers this year. The effects being seen everywhere from the unmanned assembly line to the empty convention centers that would usually be packed with auto show attendees. To discuss all of the different implications of this, I'm joined today by my colleague, Aaron Bragman. Aaron is the Cars.com Detroit Bureau Chief based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, a 25-year veteran of covering the automotive industry, dating all the way back to his time as a motor gopher at Automobile Magazine in the 90s. But even with those two and a half decades under his belt, I would guess that not even Aaron has ever seen anything like what we are experiencing today. So let's get the ball rolling with Aaron on what we can expect for the second half of 2020, what the impact of all of this is on the automotive press, and if or when we can expect auto shows to return in some fashion. Thanks for joining us on the show today, Aaron. Hope everything's going well. Well, as can be expected, Peter. You know, everybody's still in quarantine over here, but things are slowly opening up. We're seeing auto plants are now slowly starting to get back in business as well. So things are very slowly grinding to a start here, and, and grinding really is the operative word. Yeah, I think we're all taking baby steps in, in every aspect of our lives, and of course, automotive is no different there. The biggest immediate disruption I think we've seen at the manufacturing level so far has been in production, not just with the inventory of current models, but in everything new that manufacturers were looking to roll out in the second half of this year. From your perspective, how are things shaping up for product flow as we go into the coming months? We're facing two really big challenges here in the, in the second half of this year. Everything has been delayed, and whether or not the automaker will admit to it, that's really what's happened here. It's been very difficult to try and get an automaker on the record to say, yes, the product that we have come out of this year has been delayed either by a couple of months or potentially into next year. But we know that this has happened. A couple of them have actually said as much. The big one that we really expected to see already was the Ford Bronco. Um, we were supposed to go to a big uh, unveiling party a couple of months ago in Dearborn, and that got canceled. We don't know when we're going to see it. Uh, they still say sometime this year we should see it, and that uh, they, they, quote, always had planned to build it in 2021 and to introduce it in 2021. 
well, we don't know if that was January or June 2021 and what it's going to be now. We're still kind of waiting to hear. Um, there's big new SUVs coming from General Motors, the Suburban Tahoe and Escalade. Uh, when are those going to show up? We're, we're still trying to figure that out as well. The Mustang Mach-E from Ford, uh, that's probably been delayed as well. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we expected to see, even at uh, auto shows, uh, with the auto shows being gone, it's difficult to understand how these automakers are actually going to present these vehicles to us. We had thought we might see the new Jeep Grand Cherokee at the New York Auto Show uh, last month, but New York Auto Show has been delayed until August, and none of us are terribly hopeful that that's actually going to go off as planned right now. So we're trying to figure out exactly when we're going to see a lot of these vehicles and when they're going to get into production. Are there any alternative uh, kind of rollout plans that automakers are, are moving forward with? Because I, I, obviously we're seeing dealers find other ways to get potential buyers into cars that they have on their lot. But it seems like it would be a little bit more complicated to get any new models that will be ready to roll out in 2020 into the hands of reviewers like you. Have you heard of any any plans to do kind of virtual rollouts or anything like that? Well, that's really what a lot of the industry is shifting to. Getting journalists together and showing them a vehicle, really still not possible. Despite the fact that there are a number of journalists that would love to get back on the road and, and start seeing some of these things, it's just generally not safe to do that yet. Um, so what they've done is they've switched to a lot of virtual unveilings, and it's been a very interesting road to follow. Um, we just saw Toyota do that with the new uh, 2021 Sienna and 21 Venza. They brought the Venza back as a small, as a uh, mid-sized crossover five-passenger, and they did it all via live stream. They had a big event broadcast from their headquarters in Texas, and they opened up the link to just about anybody who wanted to participate. So the public is basically being invited to a lot of these as well. Um, we saw Hyundai do it with the Sonata Hybrid, and there's a couple more that are coming up. Uh, the new Nissan Rogue is going to be introduced. We were supposed to have seen that at the New York show. Uh, later this month, we'll see that. We also see the new Mercedes-Benz E-Class Coupe and Cabriolet. Uh, that's planned for later this month as well, in May. So there's a different shift to try to inform the media of what these vehicles are and introduce them to the world. And I think this is probably going to be the norm for a little while yet, at least for the last half of this year. It might be interesting to see how that evolves, because it seems, at least to me, that there's kind of a disadvantage in the virtual releases, not only because of the obvious lack of direct contact with the car, seeing it shine right in front of you, but also the potential inability to draw in the more casual observers, the ones that might not be interested in a specific vehicle or go out of their way to watch one of these launches, but would certainly spend an afternoon at an auto show and, and kind of get drawn in by what's on display. Like, how do you capture their attention? Exactly. That's actually a big challenge they're trying to figure out uh, from the automakers. And the auto shows were really on the decline before we had the pandemic situation. We were seeing attendance dwindle across the globe. People just weren't going to them nearly as much as they'd used to. And some still did. I mean, you're always going to have the people that want to go to the to a, to a big convention center, kick the tires and see all the different options, people who are just browsing. But a lot of that is being done from home nowadays uh, through sites like cars.com, where you can get a bunch of information and not only uh, see the cars, but also research them. You can see the virtual test drives that I know we're doing as well and, and publishing a lot of that content. Um, the auto shows, they were struggling. I mean, you saw a number of them around the globe that had been canceled and reshifted. Uh, the Detroit show was that did not happen this past January was scheduled for June. Now it's been canceled until next year as well. So we're going to be almost two years without a Detroit auto show. And the big question is, how is this going to impact sales? How is this going to impact people's interest? 
And thus far, it doesn't seem to be having that big of a difference in terms of generating interest and getting people into showrooms. Now, it's kind of hard to to judge, given that we're in an extraordinary situation, given the pandemic and, and all the sales models are pretty much off. But that's really going to be the question. Is that Can they still have some sort of an auto show going forward? Do they really even need it anymore? These are questions that were being asked before the pandemic. And I think that we're going to see them asked again, even more strenuously, as all the budgets for these automakers are being cut in the second half of this year and early next year. It does make it more important with the, the question of those auto shows in the future that the automakers get the new models into the hands of reviewers like yourself. But you're running into the same physical separation issues that, that anyone would at this point. Uh, is there any idea when we might see more of their introductory drive events that allow you to literally get that hands-on experience return? Well, a lot of the automakers are still talking about things late this summer, but everyone is taking a wait-and-see attitude. Um, there was recently a poll on a Facebook group that I belong to of automotive media professionals, and it specifically asked, when would you feel comfortable and safe going back on the road, going to a big drive event, and actually being able to drive these vehicles? And there was a lot of uncertainty in terms of the poll results. Nobody is really sure of exactly when we are going to be safe to do that. Does it mean we're going to have to have a vaccine in place? Does it mean that we're going to have to see certain numbers or therapeutics in place at hospitals? We really don't know. Um, but there's there are being contingency plans developed, I think. We're going to see some smaller events that are regional. Uh, and there's going to be more of just trying to get the vehicles to the journalists. It was always thought that when we have these big drive events and when... Um, the automakers will have what they call a launch event, and they will bring hundreds of journalists sometimes to a one central location somewhere in the world at a resort usually over the span of a couple of weeks, and they just rotate people in driving the cars to uh, to get the experience of it, to write about it. It's a lot cheaper to bring those 200 journalists to one spot than it is to get 200 cars to journalists all over the world. Well, now that's not possible anymore. So I think we're going to see some of those cars going out to journalists. The big question is, what are the outlets going to be that get these vehicles? Because it's not going to be everybody, unfortunately. I'm sure you won't complain if they stop or excuse me, if they start dropping the latest models off on your front door and saying, here are the keys, get it back to us in a week. <laughs> That's actually kind of the uh, the current MO of how my job works. <laughs> Lucky you. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll all apply. Yeah, it's not bad. The last several months have forced the hands of many dealers and OEMs alike to explore more efficient marketing tactics. Meanwhile, consumers are looking for both frictionless buying options and businesses that can make them feel safe in our new normal. These factors have led to in-market video getting a lot of well-deserved attention in our industry. Cars Fuel Solution leverages data-driven targeting to reach true in-market consumers wherever they're consuming video, whether it's on social, OTT, or other online video platforms. No matter where these in-market consumers are, you can spread the word to them about not only your current incentives, but what steps your brand is taking to enable safe shopping. Speak to your cars.com representative today to learn more about in-market video, or visit fuel.cars to see how being an early adopter and help you transform your marketing strategy. Outside of the manufacturing hiccups that we mentioned, the new product releases that have been pushed back and the subsequent marketing issues that the uh, auto manufacturers are going to have to face due to uh, social distancing concerns, 
What other trends are are we starting to see as a result of the first half of this year? Both trends that we had coming up before all of this that might be changing now and those that have kind of come up new thanks to COVID. Well, we were seeing a number of trends that were shifting at the beginning half of this year already, but the economy was strong. And so we were seeing a lot of investment in a number of areas from car sharing and ride sharing to autonomous vehicle research. But some things have definitely changed because the budgets are basically out the window. Um, just in terms of societal trends, car sharing services really seem to be on the decline. GM has ended its Maven service. Uh, ride sharing is also in trouble. Uber and Lyft were struggling with both lack of ridership and just coming up with pandemic safeguards in order to keep their passengers and drivers safe. Um, autonomous vehicle research was one of the big trends that we saw before this, and it's currently mixed in terms of what we're hearing about the industry. Ford has delayed a lot of its autonomous vehicle services and research, but Honda and Toyota say they're they're forging on. They're going to still be spending on it. They're they're still going to be doing uh, a lot of that in that development to try and get autonomous vehicle uh, technology into customers' hands. It, EV development is really a big question mark. Uh, we've already seen some deals go away. Ford killed its deal with Rivian, which is an upstart electric vehicle truck maker um, in the Detroit area here. They were going to develop an SUV for Lincoln, and that's been officially canceled. But on the other hand, you see across town, General Motors is insisting that its EV development for its next generation Ultium battery facilities and battery packs is proceeding as planned. And they still plan on having their joint venture with Honda, and they're still going to be forging ahead with a lot of that technology. Um, the thing we have to remember about EVs is that it's not an American trend. American market is not pushing for EVs. It's the foreign markets. It's China. It's Europe. And over there, they're still going to have the demand. They still have the regulatory framework in place that's going to demand these electric vehicles. And as a result, we're still going to see them here, too. I mean, Volkswagen is going all in with electric vehicles and plans on electrifying pretty much the entire range is what it seems like in the next five to ten years. So you're still going to see a lot of that development happening, but some of the smaller niche bit players may unfortunately suffer for it. And uh, that's really what we're seeing uh, to see shake out. I would imagine we'd see an impact on the rental car industry as well, because no one's traveling right now. And we don't know what that's going to look like for the next year, which I would guess would possibly greatly impact fleet sales for the major manufacturers. Exactly. I mean, the, the ones that are doing a lot of fleet business, I mean, Hyundai does, General Motors does, Ford, all of them, everyone at least has some aspect of fleet business. But we're starting to see a lot of the fleet orders being slashed. They don't need the new cars. They don't have customers coming in. They're, the business travel is almost non-existent. You know, luxury travel is, is non-existent. So they're not generating any revenue. They just have cars sitting on lots everywhere. There's no need to renew them. There's no need to order more of them. Um, in fact, we may see some of them trying to get rid of a number of their fleet. So that's going to be another uh, hit to the bottom line for a number of automakers. If they're not going to be selling as many consumer vehicles, they're not going to be selling as many fleet business as well. So they have to try and figure out what's going to be the impact from that. And as if we didn't have enough uncertainty <laughs> Already because of the virus, we can toss oil prices into all of this because there's been instability both because of and outside of the pandemic, which, you know, is, is going to affect what buyers want and what manufacturers can produce uh, even more. Yeah, it's this is a tricky topic. I mean, oil prices obviously came down dramatically during the pandemic, but it was a condition of a couple different things. Um, there was massive overproduction. And a, a price war, basically, between the Saudis and the Russians that kind of enveloped everybody. And we saw gasoline, gasoline around Detroit area here, reached 87 cents a gallon. I haven't seen that since I was in high school in the 90s. In fact, I remember exactly when that was, when I filled up one morning in, in my old 91 Escort. But 
where the oil prices are going to go is, you know, anybody's guess right now. They're going to start, you know, creeping back up again. And as, seen, as people take back to the roads and the highways, we still are going to start seeing some increasing demand. But we have to figure out what was the shakeout from the reduction in prices. How many small producers went under? How many survived? And when the demand comes back, will there be the ability to really accommodate the demand at a reduced price? Or are we going to see another oil price shock? And what does that do to American buying trends as well? If there's one thing we've seen reliably over the last really 60 years, it's that when oil prices are cheap, Americans buy big cars. And when oil prices get expensive, they shift to smaller vehicles. Now, you can throw in that the recession that we're dealing with as well. There's just so much uncertainty and so many variables. It's trying to figure out what people are going to buy, what they're going to be interested in is, you know, extremely difficult game. There's people that are being paid a lot of money for this kind of forecasting. And even they're trying to, having a hard time trying to figure out exactly what they're going to be looking at. But there are a couple of trends that we can kind of point to and at least keep an eye on to determine what we can expect. I mean, one of them is the the thing we saw in the 2008 Great uh, Great Recession is that people started buying below their means because of how it appeared that they looked. They didn't necessarily go for the flashy Escalade. They may have downgraded to a new Yukon instead. It's still a very nice SUV. It still has all the luxury appointments they want, but it doesn't scream the kind of ostentation that would get you attention if maybe your neighbors are out of work or, you know, now we have almost 20, 25% unemployment, several neighbors might be out of work. So it's buying below their means may be something that we want to keep an eye on as well. Um, if the oil prices go back up, people shifting back to smaller vehicles may be an issue. And that could be an issue for the Detroit automakers because they've really kind of switched out of the smaller vehicles and into crossovers and SUVs. Now, the big difference here is that the new crossovers and SUVs are are they're much more fuel efficient than they used to be. So even if you see prices going up, you still have the benefit of a crossover or small SUV that is really reasonably efficient. So that may be something to keep an eye on as well. So it's it's anybody's guess in a lot of these things. But those two factors, I think, are something we should keep an eye on. We've touched on a variety of things here, but if you can leave us with one takeaway about what we should look for coming up for the rest of 2020, what would that be? We have to see how the nation really gets back to work. That's going to determine a lot of what happens in both sales and production. Um, we're seeing a lot of these auto plants trying to restart, and some are doing pretty well with it. General Motors is basically using a lot of their lessons that they learned from the Chinese and South Korean uh, situations, where you know they never even stopped production in South Korea. They've instituted a number of, of, of measures to try and keep their employees safe. The UAW has been very vocal in that as well. And so trying to get production back up and running that's going to be key. But then what are people going to be buying is the other one. If the economy rebounds very quickly and people are getting back to work and the unemployment starts to drop, you can see, you know, it, it definitely was a hiccup in terms of a natural disaster that we faced. But it wasn't an ongoing recession in that we didn't we had a strong economy before all this happened. So getting back to it may be just, you know, bouncing from a natural disaster instead of a long term effect. So. Really, those two issues, you know, getting production started, seeing what people do in terms of getting back to work and how they spend, those are going to be the areas to focus on, I think, for the second half of the year. Absolutely. Always great to talk with Aaron. He's just a wealth of knowledge. If this conversation left you hungry for more, be sure to visit cars.com slash news. Aaron and the rest of our award-winning editorial team are producing new content daily and have put together over 45 COVID-19-related pieces alone since early March. 
That's all for today. Next week, we'll be sitting down with Cars VP of Growth, John Thornton, to talk specifically about how dealers, OEMs, and third-party marketplaces alike can build award-winning marketing teams, even when resources are at their most limited. I'm Peter Stork. Thank you, and we'll see you next time here on Unscheduled Maintenance.